If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now today's guest we've got back as a repeat guest. She was actually guest number one. We've got Vicky Roycroft, who's going to talk to us about 10 tips for improving show jumping competition results. Now, if you go back to episode number one, you'll see that she's absolutely well qualified to do this, both as an elite level rider in show jumping and eventing, and also as an elite level coach. So, you know, you're talking about an Olympic coach, Olympic rider, World Equestrian Games, World Cup Finals, Australian Champion, multiple different horses. So, um, yeah, well qualified to talk about this. Now, how are you today, Vicky? Oh, very well now, thank you, yes. Very well now. You went quite, to a big quite, event. Quite yeah. impressive. <laughs> big event last night. Yeah, actually, we went to a show in Sydney. We went to see Jersey Boys, but we didn't get back till midnight. But it was, a, was well worth the trip. Yeah. Good, good, good. So, Vicky, this 10 tips for improving show jumping competition results. Any reason why you've chosen this particular topic? Now, you know, there's so many more people involved in the sport now, and it, and it never ceases to amaze me. I mean, and I saw it happen during my years as national jumping chair, despite the fact that there's increased fuel costs, and increased costs generally. A lot of people seem to want to ride horses and, and ride competitions, which is great. But a lot of the problems I see is that, you know, a lot of people are out there just saying, oh, we're going to get a horse and go jumping, you know. And at, at, at the end of the day, dealing with a... 600 kilo animal is often not the safest thing, and and you know I see a lot of issues. Not not that people deliberately want to do things badly or wrong, but just because they've never had any sort of guidance or help as to how they can make things easier and safer for them for themselves in the sport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Now the first thing that you put down that you'd like to talk about is when to compete. Well, yeah, that's that's that is a big deal. I mean, I I you know. At least there's a lot of lower, very lower level competitions and, yeah, people go out and do stuff, which is fine. you really got to be comfortable at home riding at least 10 centimetres higher than what you propose to do in the competition. And I'm not talking about the metre 50 classes. I'm talking about, you, you know, up to about a metre 10 classes, which, which is where the vast majority of riders are. <clears throat> you need to be sort of comfortable and confident at home jumping and in control before you actually tackle a competition. That doesn't mean you totally don't do it. Of course, you go and even if sometimes, which we often do with our young horses, just take them out to a day, even just to give them the experience of, 
and I'm talking about a horse we bred here who had never been off the property, but um, it's a similar situation with people who aren't familiar with the situation, that you go out and see how your horse reacts to an atmosphere. I mean, it's not so much these days that we have like, race horses, which we used to deal with in the old days a lot, so very often their first outing was a real eye-opener because, of course, they'd expect to be going to the races. <laughs> yes, so, <laughs> yes. It's a bit more of a – the warm bloods, it's a bit different, but, you know, they keep saying, you know, the warm bloods are easier. Well, they're not because they have their own sort of problems. Warm bloods are way more spooky than, than uh, thoroughbreds. You know, they're a little more stubborn. They, You know, so it's the same situation. You've got to get them out into that new atmosphere and make sure that they're ready to cope with it mm-hmm. before you mm-hmm. actually do a competition. Yep, mm. yep, yep. All right. Now, for this competition, you, you've talked about the 10 centimetres higher to do at home um, and you can take mm. out horses to compete. What about the fitness of the horse? We've sort of got the fitness of the horse and the fitness of the rider. You know, if we can talk about the fitness of the horse first and then the fitness of the rider or combine the two, whatever you're easy Well, with. the fitness of the horse is, is more crucial because they're the athletes. Yep. At the end of the day, as much as we like to think as riders that we're brilliant athletes, we we don't have to be. <laughs> you, know, you, yes. you see a lot of people who you really think, you wonder what how the hell mm-hmm. they get on a horse. But, and at the moment, I'm probably one of those too as, I, as my years get more advanced. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the horse is the athlete, so he's the one who's got to be fit and ready for the job. Again, the fitness depends on what you want to do with the horse. If you just want to do, you know, smaller competitions up to, like, the metre 10, they don't have to be seriously fit. You know, if you're working them two or three times a week, 20 to 30 minutes, that level of fitness is fine. If you're wanting to go to a one or, or a three-day then you know, it's a whole different ball game. That's six out of seven days, up to 45 minutes an hour of work a day. So what I'm saying is the level of fitness has to match what you're wanting to, what you're wanting of the horse. It doesn't apply. You can't just drag him out of a paddock and say, okay, we're going to a competition. You'd like to think that at least the day before a competition, unless it's a quite a phlegmatic horse, that um, you have them sort of worked and ready for the competition the next day. Mm-hmm. But again, at the level that you want to, you know, you want to give yourself the best chance of doing well. You know, it's it's fun to go to a competition. You want to come away from the competition thinking, well, that was that was that was a fun experience. Everything well, that yep. often doesn't happen, but that's what you'd like to think will happen. Okay. Okay. Good. What about the rider? You said the fitness of the horse is more important, but how important is the fitness of the rider? Well, it's you know it's a funny thing. Competition does make you very tired, and I've found this over the years. I've had a break from a competition, and it hasn't happened very often. But you know, injuries sometimes preclude you doing things, and you you ride at home, you think you're okay, and you go to a show, and by the end of the first round, you're actually worn out. <laughs> and <laughs> with a lot of people, I find with a lot of my students, I find because they don't breathe during the during the round. You've got to remember to breathe, and often I'll tell that to students, don't forget to breathe. Yes. <laughs> yep. But the fitness of the rider, yeah. I mean, I mean, I get fit to ride by riding horses, but that doesn't mean I'm fit enough to do a competition. Mm-hmm. It's riding a few rounds gets you a little fitter. That doesn't mean you'll do a bad job. But at a, at a higher level, or if you want to do really well, you, you know, you've got to be mentally, physically fit enough for those last few fences. If you're a little tired your reactions aren't quite as good. So it's not the 
it's you know it's not for me the biggest deal, but it's one of the factors involved with enjoying the sport. Okay, okay, all right. Now you, you've talked about the ten centimeters higher at home, but what sort of exercises can you do at home to prepare for the competition? You know, I, I don't um, I don't do a great deal of jumping with my horses at home, mainly because. You know, we're the ones who love jumping. Mm. The horses, not so much. Yep. <laughs> you know, I, I get these people who will tell me, oh, my horse loves jumping. He just rushes at his fences. <laughs> yes. You are misguided. <laughs> yes. The horse is only rushing because he's trying to get it over with quickly. Mm. You put a horse in a paddock full of show jumps, and I guarantee nothing will ever go and jump fences. Yep. They may jump a fence if they have an incentive to, like if they want to get to a mate or to a better paddock, that will often mean they'll jump, but they won't jump by choice. So our challenge as a rider is to make it as easy as possible for them. That doesn't mean they'll necessarily enjoy it, but they won't you know, they won't be so cerebral about it. I mean, most of my horses, I, I always try to promote the attitude in the horse of uh, that the horse is saying to me, what would you like me to do now? Yes. Not what the hell do you want me to do or bugger mm. off, I'm going to do my own thing. So the constant challenge in educating a horse is getting getting them to that level of of uh, not compliance. You know, you're a partnership, but the rider is the senior partner in the relationship. So that you have a good understanding of one another, that's basically what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So the exercises I use at home is really – I use a lot of poles. I love poles. I use a lot of cavalettis. I love cavalettis. The value of these is that it teaches the rider about riding a line and riding a distance. It's actually a lot harder to canter a pole on the ground than canter like about a 90-centimetre fence because the horse isn't looking at at the pole. When you're cantering to a fence, once you have your horse, once he knows how to jump, they're actually... And it look a little bit with you. You know, if you um, lunge your horse over the fences as an exercise, you'll find, you know, they, they start to pick their own distance. So you've got to realise as a rider that there's there's always two pairs of eyes on the fence. In my case, one and a half pairs, but, you know, there's always those are those ones that are there. So, But to a pole on the ground, the horse isn't looking, so it's totally up to the rider to organise the distance. And in saying that, the challenge there is, not having to do too much to make the distance work so that you start to get your eye for the fence, your eye for a distance very smooth. And that's a big, big challenge. So it's something I like to work on with my students because, like anything, you practice it, you get better at it. But um, otherwise, I like to jump my horses two days before the show. That's that's quite okay. essential. At last practice session at about the size of whatever they're competing at at the show, you know, the variety of obstacles, spreads, verticals, combinations. And then the day before the show is just flat work that might be needed from what I've gauged from the jumping. Okay. Yeah. In other words, if they're, if they're a bit rush, rushing or crooked one way, we work on that sort of thing to make that a little bit better. <laughs> and again, the purpose being that you're not jumping a horse day after day after day, especially if you're going to a, like a two or three day show. If you if you jump them the day before the show, that's another day jumping, and that's another day by the end of the show where the horses become over this. Yeah. Not that they do anything bad, but they just lose their enthusiasm a little bit. And you like them to be, you know, you like to think that they're going to be as happy with a job as you are. Yes. That doesn't happen, but I feel that's a big deal that you don't. 
jump too much before mm-hmm. a showtime. Certainly two days before, certainly probably during, especially the only one day show. Yep. Or competition also earlier in the week. But every day, nearly every day, I would do poles, I would do cavalettis, and and that to me is flat work. Okay. But it's also teaching me how to ride my horse better at jumps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. The next thing we've got is travelling to a competition. Now, are there common things like travelling to a competition, you know, 10 minutes down the road or or travelling several days to a competition? Are there common things that we need to know or what main things do you think we need to know about travelling to the competition? Uh, Well, something that I'm not very good at but I'm trying to get better at it as I get older is is being better organised and giving myself plenty of time. And yep. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a real last-minute person, and that has been to my detriment at a lot of competitions because I've sort of been running late and I'm not a morning person. Mm-hmm. I'm in the wrong sport. God knows why, but anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> but so, you know, really, if, you, if you're serious about having a good day, you may really give yourself plenty of time to get there in time, to get settled, to get a good parking spot, to be organised, um, if it's a you know two and three day show where you're away, you know making sure all your ducks are in a row, that you've got the feed organised, that the stables are organised, or the yard, or whatever you you need to be organised. It really is all about being organised, knowing that your horse is going to travel all right. I'm not a great one for using travelling boots and things. I find they upset horses more than anything. I just make sure that the travelling arrangements in my truck as it is, uh, adequate that you're not having a horse next to another one that I might argue or fight or whatever because um, I just I just don't like too much stuff on their legs that bothers them. Okay. Um, that, that's, a, that's just a little tip, but that's, that's for me only that might suit some people. But if you've got a horse that's kicking on the truck or the float, you can find the reason why they're doing it, not try and think, okay, well, I'll put boots on and stop that happening okay. because it mightn't stop it happening. And it might they might end up injuring themselves. I really am quite adamant that my 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 truck I always have access to the horses. Um, and I'm not a great fan of semi trailers um, stuff like that because I have a rigid truck. I travel up to eight horses on it. I can hear every horse is doing on that truck. So if something's kicking or sad or something. I know it's happening and I can address it. So, you know, because at the end of the day, we want to fit healthy horse at the competition. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book imagine maybe one day you could be a guest on horse chats yes and i like the way you said about finding out the reason why don't just try and you know put a band-aid on it but find out what the problem is and fix it at that level quite yeah Mm. Yeah. 
What about help with the show? You're travelling to a show, you've got eight horses. It's pretty hard, even if you're riding quite a few, to just bring them back, tie them up, jump on another horse. What can you say about the help at the show? Oh, goodness, at my age and stage in life, I, I have <laughs> a lot of help. <laughs> um, you know, it's very rare that I don't go to a show without two other people, mm-hmm. both of whom are riders as well, um, but their their first priority is to, because they're working for me, is to make sure all my horses and stuff uh, are organised. Um, yeah, and but even if you're just one person with one horse, and, you know, when I'd go to Europe, I often just only have the one or two horses, which I which I was very happy with. I love being able to look after my horses by myself. But we do need absolutely need someone. And even if you're only the one person, one horse, you have to have someone. No, you don't have to, but it's a lot easier if you have someone who's there to hold the horse at the ring. If you're um, so you can walk the course, especially if you're early in the in the class, and someone at the practice fence. Now, someone at the practice fence really, really is crucial. Otherwise, it Become, again, it's not impossible. It means if you haven't got someone there, you have to get there earlier and then pick your times to jump your fences when they're at the appropriate height. But if you have someone on the ground, the practice fence, it's another pair of eyes on the ground and you, they can set fences to suit what you want. Always remembering people that the, um, the priority over the practice fence is the one who's closest to going in the ring. So if you're four horses away and the person who's two horses away wants the vertical at a certain height, they have priority in it. But it's really it's really essential to have someone there at that warm-up because that's where you can make or break your good or bad round. Yep. Um, if you jump too big and frighten your horse, he's not going to jump well. If, you, if, you, if you've got a horse that's a bit casual and you haven't jumped big enough, they're not going to be focused up. It's such a crucial time. Mm-hmm. That warm up, so it really is, you know, very important. Even if you can just get a person, have someone there who's available, or a friend that you can just say, "Hey, would you giving me a hand at the practice fence?" Um, you know, as I say, if you've just opened a horse, you don't need someone hanging around all day because, hey, we can all look after one or two horses. Yeah. But at the fence, as I say, at that time, if you're early in the class, if someone just to hold the horse, because you, you know, you don't like asking people favours. I mean, if you have to, you will, and, and we often do. But um, it's it's a, it's a little better if you've to be again back to being organised. If you've got someone there to um, who can give you a hand. Okay, okay. Mm. And and if you're very organised, you've got someone holding your horse, tell us about walking the course. How important is that? And what are the main things that we should be doing when we walk the course? Is it just finding which order the jumps go or a bit more important than that? Uh, look, at the at the at the lower level, it's, it's, it's not a huge deal. Of course, you, you find out the order. You've, sort of, you've got to base your course walk on your horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the big thing. But you're you really all your work at home, all your flat work, all your education is based around getting your horse rideable, uh, which is to be to be able to put in a twelve foot stride, which is what um, three point four. Sorry, I'm old, so I'm not very metric. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but based upon them having that twelve foot. If you've got the big horse, you've got to be able to shorten your stride. If you've got the small horse, you hope that they can make their stride bigger or that you look to where you may have to add strides like in a, a normal seven-stride line. Maybe you're going to do eight strides on the, the horse with the shorter stride. 
<clears throat> so it's yeah, it's it's finding the numbers. It's knowing how many strides between fences up to for me up to seven or eight strides. After that, you know, anything can happen. Okay. You know, you've got people down some of these overprotective trainers. So, you know, they'll be carrying you know nine, ten, eleven. And that's the other thing is also be ready not to be rigid on a plan. Mm-hmm. You've walked a course and think this is what I'm going to do. If you possibly can, you watch a few go to see if what you have decided in your mind uh, is actually workable. Other thing is if, if there's someone there who's, you know, nicely trust, it's just all what do you think in this line? Should I be doing six strides or seven strides? You know, all of, any of the elite riders that I know, myself included, you know, is, are very happy to to help. Or you know, if someone asks a question, it's not ideal. It's uh, but again, you know, my main thing is unless I know who's the people that's riding, I'm not going to say, oh, this is a six or a seven. It really depends on their yep. on their horse. So when you're if you have the opportunity to watch them go, you you watch. Hopefully, of course, it's similar to yours. If it's a bit hard or a bit short striding or a bit, you know, long striding, you try and watch that horse to gauge what's happening. Mm-hmm. Also, to see, like, the influence of maybe where the in gate is, um, you, you know, to, to see how that how much that's going to affect horses. If you've so got a big oxer going away from the in gate, you've got to know that you've got to ride it a bit stronger because mm-hmm. the horse is yep. always going to be dragged towards magnetically dragged towards home. That's yep. the other thing. Okay. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Okay. Now, you talked before about the help at the show and you talked about the practice fence. Have you got anything else to say about that crucial warm-up? Yeah, look, again, it's it's... It's about being organised. You know, I, I normally, normally I'll get on the horse, again, depending on the horse, but on the average about eight or ten horses before I'm due to go. Okay. To be able to give them that sort of, you know, about a ten-minute flat work warm-up. But if you've got a, a hot horse or a nervous horse, you might have to get on them earlier. If you're in a position where you don't have someone to help you, you'll get on earlier, like 20 horses before, you know, so that you can time your riding the fences as to when it suits you rather than get on five or four and think, oh, that's the only fence available is a, a metre three vertical when I'm going into a metre class. And yeah. That's, you know, that's going to completely shatter you. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen yeah. it happen. Yeah. For sure. So, and because that goes on to another tip going to talk about is nervousness <laughs> that people sort of lose their brains a bit sometimes when they, in the warm-up. You know, you've really got to critically assess what you want to do Remember that you can only do as much as you've trained. You're not going to, you, you know, you're not going to be able to do better. You can wish for better, but you know, don't expect better. Try not, try and make the horse into a metre sixty horse who isn't. Yeah. The other yeah. thing with the warm up, and this is a special of the warm up, is my big deal is I love to get the ring into the competition ring as early as possible because I like to get the horse comfortable in that atmosphere because as we know horses are such herd bound creatures and uh you know you take out of their environment they they get worried and a bit distracted so for me it's very crucial to get into the competition ring quite early now nowadays uh because of our numbers we're getting more like the europeans at last that we 
in order to keep the competition flowing and getting more horses through, they'll often send a horse that's next and draw into the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always often two, sometimes three horses in the, the arena at the same time. Yep. So that's that's a good thing, but the what riders have got to learn about is making sure that they know how to, you know, not get in anybody's way. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, okay. And that, that again is a learning process, but you really, for me, it's a crucial thing, and I love to be able to do it. Get the horse in the ring as early as possible, mm-hmm. so that we can find and show him any things that might be spooky, or a line that might be a little distracting, or a sideshow that's over there, or or a tent or something so that you can get the horse familiar and com- comfortable in that environment before you start to round. So that by the time you start the round, by the time that bell is gone and you've still got 45 seconds to familiarise the horse a little bit. In the old days, it used to be 60 seconds, mm-hmm. but now it's 45. But now you have that extra time because they normally let you in earlier yep. to get the horse familiar and comfortable in the environment so his attention is switched back to you and what he's got to do. Okay. And that's the best way to ensure a good round. Yeah, mm. yeah. You talked, you know, earlier on about um, when to compete and we talked about horses just off the track and young horses bred at home getting out. But what if the horse stays nervous? What can you say about nervous horses? Again, you've got to look at, at why why they're nervous. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's one of the things I, I really love about about riding is, is, you know, getting into the horse's head and to see why by their acting in a particular way, okay? Yep. So if they're still nervous, there's, you know, the horse's characters are, can generally be moulded by the rider. You don't need, I mean, a hot horse will be a bit of a hot horse, but and a phlegmatic one will always be a bit phlegmatic. You try to, and if you're riding six or eight horses a day, that you get all those horses reacting same way to the same method you apply to them. Mm-hmm. In other words, the hot horse has to get used to your leg, the cold horse has to react to your leg. Yep. So, you know, that, that's what you're looking at. If your horse is staying nervous after you're at, a, at, a, at about the third or fourth show, you've got to figure out what's, that there's something going on here. That why is, am, I, am I jumping in too big? Am I, am I too much spit on him? Am I feeding him too much? You know, you look at three and why and try and you know analyze and, and if you can't figure it out you need to go to someone you know go and go to a professional and say look this is the problems I'm having you know can I help you with their job mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay what about nervous riders <laughs> another topic altogether you know that's one of the the biggest problems we have is nerves can destroy you nerves can destroy you and I, and I was so fortunate in my early years because I was a very nervous rider and when I became associated with the Rowcroft and, and when Wayne and I started going out, he was, he, was, he, was, he, was, he gave me the best advice ever. He said, you know, don't, everybody gets nervous. Don't think you're alone in that. And anyone who says they don't get nervous, they're lying. Mm-hmm. What you've got to do is, is then make your nerves work for you. Okay, as soon as you start getting nervous about something, oh, I don't, I don't want to, you know, and, and there's two types of nerves are sort of fear, you know, and, and fear of physical injury or fear of failure. Basically, the categories. <clears throat> if you fear of physical injury, injury, that's that's a hard one to go. You're just going to stick to your level where you know you're not going to get hurt. But that's that's a whole <laughs> topic again. But yes. mainly, people have the fear of failure. You know, and and look, and an interesting thing I heard not so long ago actually was um, a quote from Scott Brash who said, "You lose way more events than you win." 
And that's that's absolutely the truth. You know, you don't go and thinking you're going to win every class to do well in every class. You don't. Mm. You lose way more than you win. So accept that. That that that's life. But as soon as you start getting nervous about something, oh, I don't know, this, I'm really worried about this fence or that fence. You've really got to set your mind, and this is what Wayne told you. You set your mind to focus on what you need to do to get the job done. Go over the course in your mind. Put your mind, your nervous energy, into something constructive like that. It's so, okay, how am I going to, what am I going to do when I go in the ring? Am I going to, what am I going to do here? And that will take your mind off, I'm going to screw this up. Mm-hmm. And I found that the most valuable advice at that time, and I still think that applies, that you don't, you know, as I say, you can figure out, okay, what, if, you, if you're nervous because you're doing something that you're not ready for, yeah, that's understandable. And again, another thing I say to my students very often is, look, I would rather you do something at a lower level and come out of the ring thinking, I wish I'd done the higher class, than come out of the ring thinking of the higher class having screwed up, saying, I wish I hadn't done that. Okay. You know, it's a much better feeling to think, okay, good, well, given the horse that got a good concert run, he jumped really well, I could have done the higher class. Mm-hmm. Um, next day, I will do the higher class. You know, there's, there's always plenty of these shows. Okay. Okay. Mm. All right. A lot to digest, a lot to think about. I've made lots and lots of notes. So, so, um, <laughs> You know, hopefully everyone else has too. I think it helps. Yeah, yeah. No, really good. Really good. All right. Well, it's been quite a while since we've seen you, so hopefully we'll uh, we'll have a chat sometime a little bit sooner. We've gone from like if first we're on in uh, episode number one, and I think we're sort of approaching five hundred now. So hopefully oh, we'll wow. see you. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> a, li- a little bit sooner. So thank you very much yeah, for your time, Vicky. Yeah. And um, no, please. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> Yeah. No, really, really Excellent. good. No, really good. A lot. Yeah. Excellent. Mm. We'll uh, mm. we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you. Thank okay. You. Thank you, Glenna. All righty. Goodbye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.